We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. A person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. The hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent, and their lips promote instruction. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold, is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. Thanks, Anita. Let's pray together. Uh, God, all of these uh, verses that we've just heard read about the importance of our words, and um, really what we need today is a word from you. And we do not need human words or human inspiration. We do not need my words, God. We need words from you. We need to hear from you. And you know that we are all over the map in this room. Some of us are convinced of the things that we have been singing and praying. Some of us are utterly unconvinced. Some of us come into this room having once believed and we're trying to figure out if we could ever believe again. Some of us come with a deep sense of your presence and your nearness in our life. And some of us come and it feels like you are a million miles away. We're wondering if you see, if you care, if you're even there. God, we are in so many different places, and yet, in another sense, we're all in the same place. We need to hear from you. And so we pray that you would speak and that you would give us ears to hear. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Brent, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I would love to get to meet you after the service today if I haven't yet. 
Uh, before we jump into the sermon, I, I do want to say a couple things. First, for those of you who were here last week, and if you stuck around long enough, probably 15, 20 minutes after the service, uh, you know they had a really scary incident. Um, if you weren't here, there was a man who was firing uh, gunshots at the 19th Street BART station, which is just one block from here. And uh, we've never had anything like this happen in a, on a Sunday in our church. It was very scary. Um, thankfully, we were able to kind of gather in this room and lock the doors and uh, pray while the police resolved the situation rather quickly. Thankfully, no one was hurt. But I, I want to say a couple things about what happened last week. Um, and the first is this, is that I want to acknowledge how scary this was for some of you. Um, some of you left last Sunday wondering if you could ever feel comfortable coming to a worship service here again. And maybe you're actually at home today, worshiping on the live stream because of that question. And I just want you to know that Pastor Dave and I would love to make ourselves available to you. If you are feeling afraid, if you're asking those kinds of questions, we would love to meet with you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to just process this with you. The second thing I want to say is um, our safety team did an amazing job. So you, you, you probably don't know this, but we have a team of about five people who are here every Sunday who are our safety team. And they have eyes outside that building and they have eyes inside this building. And their job is to handle any incident that arises. Now we have never had one like last Sunday, but they did an amazing job. They got people in, everybody, people were outside drinking coffee. Uh, they got people inside very, very quickly in a very calm manner. We locked the doors very quickly. They followed all of our protocols. It was, it was an incredible job on behalf of our safety team. Um, and I want you to know there is one. That's actually important for you to know um, because we are right in the heart of downtown. Um, the third thing that I want to say is this, is that Incidents like last Sunday ought to remind us why we exist as a church. Now, I know that when things like that happen and all of the other things that we witness every day in this city, that it makes, there's, there's an instinct to want to retreat. There's an instinct to want to pull back uh, for some of you, there's even an instinct to say, should I move? Should I leave this place? But you see, when things like this happen, it ought to remind us why our church is here and why Christians need to be here. See, when Jesus Christ saw the brokenness of the world, he did not move away. He actually came from heaven to earth. And he moved towards it. And he calls us to do the same. Now please hear me. He does not call us to be unwise. And he does not call us to be careless. But he does call us to follow him in his mission. Here's what we believe, friends. We believe God loves this city. We believe that God sees all the brokenness of this city. And we believe that God wants to heal and restore this city. That he wants to make his kingdom come on in Oakland as it is in heaven. 
And we believe that he wants to use us in this process. And this is why we're here. See, our presence in this city is our protest. Our gathering together in this room on Sunday morning is our protest to say, evil and injustice and darkness and death will not have the last word. Our our presence, our attempts to serve this city, to care for the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized, uh, to work against injustice in this city, to proclaim the good news of King Jesus, it is our protest that the kingdom of God is on the move and that the gates of hell will not prevail. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, we can clap for this. Now, guess what? God is at work in this church. God is at work in this church. If I, I wish I had more time today to share stories with you, but there are people in this room who are meeting Jesus for the first time, who are becoming Christians, who want to get baptized. There are people who have been away from the church for years and even decades who are finding their way back in and into a relationship with the God who loves them. There are people in this church who are finding Christian community in a place that they never thought they would. There are people who are walking through suffering and death, and they are realizing, I do not have to do this alone, but God has given me a community to do it with. You see, this is why we are here. And guess what? This church is growing rapidly. We are five years old, and we are now having a hard time fitting everybody into this room on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You don't see this, but there's a pretty full balcony up there this morning, too. And you know what? The, you know what here's what all the research says. It says that when a church, when the seats in a church are more than 80% full, anybody who walks through the doors of that church that is, that is there for the first time or is not a Christian, you know what they do? They turn around and they walk right back out because they think there is not room for me in that place. That is not a good thing. That is not a good thing at all. And so, this morning we got a big announcement. You've already seen it. You've already, see, you skipped ahead. You started, you've been looking at this. You weren't supposed to. This is supposed to be the big reveal. We've got a big announcement. Sunday, September 10th. We're going to two services. We will no longer have a 10 a.m. service. We'll have a 9 a.m. Yeah, we can clap for that. All right. And now why are we doing this? It's very simple. It is very simple. We're doing it to make room for more people, to hear the good news that we have heard, to know the love of God that we have known, to experience the hope of the gospel that we have experienced. We want other people to experience this so that then they might be sent out in God's mission to love and to serve and to bless this city that is so deeply broken, but it is so deeply loved by God. Now moving to two services, let me say, this is going to be a church-wide effort. This is not a staff-wide effort. This is a church-wide effort. To go to two services means we've got to double our Sunday volunteers. 
And that's why we've got these little inserts for you in your worship guide. On the back, you'll find a QR code. That will take you to a place online where you will see all of the needs that we have on Sunday mornings as we move to two services and ways that you can serve. We need more greeters. We need more people caring for our children and res kids. We need more people who are showing up early to help set up. We need more people to read scripture. We need more people to play in the worship band. We need more of everything. And this is great news. Let me tell you why. Because the best way to feel like you belong in a place is to have a part to play. And as we go to two services, let me tell you, there there is going to be a part for everybody to play. So sign up. Let's go. Let's get on mission. God is at work. His kingdom is on the move. God is working. The city is broken, yes. It's even scary at times, yes. But God is at work. So let's go. Okay. Are you feel, did that feel like a sermon? <laughs> feel like a sermon. We've got a whole other sermon on Proverbs. Some of you are like, I was ready to pray and go to lunch. <laughs> no, Proverbs. Proverbs. All right. Let's talk about Proverbs. Last week, we started a new series on the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book that is all about wisdom. And what we said last week is this, wisdom is more than just knowledge, and wisdom is more than just following God's moral laws. Here's how we defined it. We said wisdom is navigating the maze of life. See, life, life is like a maze. That means it's, it's complex, and it's messy, and, and the right decision, wisdom, is not always obvious. So life Wisdom is navigating the maze of life in such a way that the decisions we make honor God and cause you and those around you to flourish. That's what wisdom is, and we need wisdom in so many areas of our lives. We need wisdom in our relationships. We need wisdom in the decisions that we're facing. We need wisdom in our singleness. We need wisdom in our marriage. We need wisdom in our parenting. We need wisdom... In our work, that's next week. We need wisdom with our money, that's two weeks. I shouldn't have told you that because now none of you are going to come. You know it's going to be a sermon on money. We need wisdom in all sorts of areas of our lives. Today we are talking about how we need wisdom in our words. Now, did you notice, did you notice how much the verses we just read have to say about our words? I want you to know this is literally a small sampling of everything that Proverbs says about our words, about our tongue. In fact, here's something really interesting. Proverbs says more about the way we use our words and more about wisdom in our words than anything else. Than anything else. It talks about wisdom in words more than it talks about marriage or sex or work or money or family or anger. And this is why we, we, by the way, the reason we've got like just a a smattering of verses from all of our Proverbs is because this is how Proverbs works. There's not like a chapter on words. There's not a chapter on anger. Proverbs is kind of like a puzzle. You have to piece all of the different pieces together to really understand the whole of what it's saying about a particular topic. What does Proverbs teach us about our words? Here's the first thing. Our words have power. Now look at Proverbs 18.21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Our words have incredible power. 
Some of us in this room, we feel like we have no power in this world. We feel like we were born powerless. We were born at the bottom of the power structures. And there is some truth to that. But I want you to know, every single person in this room has power. It is in your mouth. It is with your tongue. It is with your words. And rarely do we ever think about this, about the power of our words. But would you think about this? When God created the world, how did he do it? With words. Genesis 1 says, and God said, let there be light. God spoke creation into being, and then he created us as creatures in his image. God speaks, and he made us to speak. God's words had power, which means our words have power. But here's the thing. Our words have power, and this is really the first main point. Our words have power to do one of two things. To either harm or to heal. Look at this, Proverbs 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. None of your words are neutral. None of your words are neutral. All of your words do one of two things. They either pierce like a sword or they heal like medicine. They either harm or they heal. Now, let's first, let's talk about how our words have the power to harm, okay? I want you to think about this image of a sword that we get in Proverbs 12, 18. Uh, if someone uh, stabs you with a sword, what happens? You can take that sword out, but you know what it leaves? It leaves a scar. It leaves a wound. Swords leave scars. You know what else leaves scars? Words leave scars. Some of us in this room, we have had words spoken to us that have pierced our soul. Words like, you're stupid, you're fat, you're lazy, you're ugly. No one would ever want you. You will never amount to anything. I never want to see you again. I'm not in love with you anymore. I want a divorce. I hate you. So we've heard words that have left scars on us. And we walk around, some of, for some of us, these words were spoken not just years, but decades ago. But they have pierced us. And in many ways, they've actually come to define the way that we see ourselves. These words are like broken records that we play over and over and over again in our head. You know, when I was in the sixth grade, all of the seventh and eighth graders who rode the bus had a nickname for me. And it was Chubbs. Because I had big cheeks. I still have big cheeks, actually. And let me tell you, those words have never left me. In fact, there are many times, it is often the case for me, still in life, I am a grown 45-year-old man who is still very insecure about his physical appearance. I think about those words all the time. And see, we're told, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And that is the biggest lie you're ever told. Because here's the truth. Sticks and stones can break your bones, but guess what? Bones, bones can heal. 
and souls and hearts that have been pierced by hurtful words do not always heal. And it's not just that we've been on the receiving end of these words. Friends, we have also been on the giving end. We use our words all the time to harm people. And there's so many ways to do it. We shame people. We demean people. We say hateful things to people. We gossip about people and we slander people. Do you know how destructive? Do you know what a sword gossip and slander is like? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28. A, person, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Gossip and slander have the power to destroy relationships. They even actually have the power to destroy churches, which is why the New Testament talks about it so much. How else do we hurt people with our words? We make, I want you to think about this one, we make promises to people that we don't keep. We, we use our words to manipulate people, to deceive people. Here's another way. We, we hurt people with our words by withholding our words from them. You ever known what it's like to get the silent treatment from somebody? It is so painful. See, we can do a lot of damage with our words. We can also do a lot of good. We can, we can use our words to heal. Um, I think about my own dad here. My dad was raised by an alcoholic father. Uh, my grandfather, when my dad was growing up, my grandfather was a very harsh man. Um, he became a Christian later in life. And so all I knew of him was that he was a very kind, gentle man. But when my dad was growing up, he was a very harsh man. And he never once told my dad that he loved him. My dad was determined to be a different kind of father. And so when I was a kid, and even into my adult life, there were two sentences my dad said to me more than any other. I love you, and I'm proud of you. And those words have changed my life. They've changed my life. When I start thinking about chubs... <laughs> I start hearing my dad, actually. Um, do, you know, do you know that the power, do you know the power your words can have for good in another person's life? Words like, I forgive you. Words like, will you forgive me? Friends, those are words that can heal wounds. They can heal wounded relationships. Words like, I see how God is changing you. Those are words that are like medicine to a person's soul. Words like, I've missed you. I just, I just enjoy being around you. Those are words that build a person up. Words like, I've been thinking about you. How are you? That, those are words that make a person feel seen. Words like, you are so special and I am so proud of you. Those are words that can change a child's life. Words like, I love you. Those are words that can change a marriage. They change a friendship. See, let me ask you a question. Who experienced healing this last week because of words that you spoke to them? And who might God be calling you to speak words of healing to this week? Words of life. Words of encouragement. Words of affirmation in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school. 
Our words have incredible power, and which brings us actually to the second point. Our words have incredible power to heal. We can go back to, to the previous one. Our wor- but using our words to heal requires wisdom. Now, Proverbs have so much to say about this, more than we have time for today. What I want to do is I want to give you four ways that Proverbs says we can use our words to heal. Four actually types of words that we need. And I want to get very practical here. Let me give them to you up front, and then we're going to walk through them. We need measured words. We need honest words. We need gracious words. And we need timely words. Let's talk about measured words first. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. So here's the principle. The first way that we use our words to heal is to use less of them. Let me put it this way. It's to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Because it is often the case when we are most quick to speak that we are most prone to use our words wrongly. It is when we, when we are quick to speak is so often when we say things we later regret. We, we talk about people in ways we wish we hadn't. We make promises that we can't keep. We claim to know things that we don't. You know, Plato once said this. He said, wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools speak because they have to say something. Wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools speak because they have to say something. So we need to be measured with our words. And we need to be most especially measured with our words when we are angry. Look at Proverbs 29 verse 11. A fool gives full vent to his anger. But a wise man keeps himself under control. I was reading about Abraham Lincoln this week. There was a famous biography that came out on him by Doris Kearns uh, Goodwin. And she talks about how everybody knew Lincoln as a very calm-tempered man. But behind the scenes, he could actually, he could get pretty, uh, he had a pretty big temper with those who opposed him. And uh, what he would do when he got into these kind of like heated moments uh, with people is that he would often write a letter to them. They called them hot letters. He would write them a letter and then he would put it aside until he kind of came to a place where he could kind of resolve it a little more calmly. Decades later, when historians started going through his like files, they found all of these notes that Abraham Lincoln had written to people. And at the bottom of the note, he, he, he wrote this, never signed, never sent. Some of the greatest harm we do with our words is when we speak in our anger. We, we say things on social media that we would never say to someone's face. We, we lash out at our coworkers. We lash out at our own family members. We snap at our kids. I don't know anything about that. We snap at our kids. Y'all, you guys snap at your kids. I'll pray for you. See, when we are angry is when we need to be most slow to speak. Now, please do not hear me. That is not because God wants you to suppress your anger. 
No, actually, this is a whole other sermon about righteous anger. But God wants you to be slow to speak in your anger so that he can transform it. So that rather than just reacting, you actually reflect first so that you can use words that are coming out of your anger to actually heal and not to harm. Okay, uh, measured words. Here's the second thing. Honest words. Honest words. Proverbs 24, 26. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Now that is a striking metaphor. To kiss someone on the lips, that is an act of intimacy. It's an act of love. You know what this verse is saying? It is saying, if we are not, when we are not honest with our words, it is a lack of love. I want you to think about this for just a moment. Every lie that you have ever told is a lack of love. See, why do you lie? Why do I lie? We, we lie out of self-protection, actually. We lie not because we care about other people because we care about ourselves. Every lie is a lack of love. When we slander people and we say things that are not true about them, that's a lie. When we slander people and we misrepresent them, we're not just misrepresenting them. This is saying we are failing to love them. When we shade or we hide the facts, when we exaggerate the truth to make ourselves look better or to get ahead of other people at work, it is a lack of love. When we are too afraid to say truthful but hard things to our friends or to people in our community groups because we are afraid that they won't like us. It is a failure to love them. And what God says is, I want you to be honest with your words. I want you to be willing to tell the truth even when it costs you. And some of you are like, yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I am. You tell it like it is. Direct, blunt. Straight to the point, you know? But see, speaking your mind may come easily to you and telling the truth may come easy to you, but according to Proverbs, you can be honest with your words and still not be wise with your words. And that actually brings us to the third principle, which is gracious words. We need gracious words. Gracious words, Proverbs 16 says, are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. In other words, what this is saying is it's not just what you say, it is how you say it. Honest words and truth-telling is important even when it's cost you and even when it is painful, but it is very possible to tell the truth in such a way that you're actually doing it for yourself and not for other people. You like to win arguments. You like to prove people wrong. It's a way to get back at someone who's embarrassed you or shamed you. And you want them to see how right you are. It's all about you. And so you have to ask yourself, are the things that I'm about to say, is it for myself, for my benefit, or is it for theirs? Because if it's for their benefit, it will change the way you say things. It will change how you say things. Go back to this kissing metaphor for just a second then an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. See, there's a way to kiss someone that makes them go, oh, that was, that was nice. Let's do that again. And there's a way to kiss somebody that makes them say, that was gross. 
Do not ever put your lips on me again. Being, that didn't land quite like I hoped it would, being wise, being wise with our words, using gracious words, here's what it means. It means that tone matters just as much as truth-telling. It means that how someone experiences what you say to them matters just as much as what you intended to say to them. It means that impact matters just as much as intention. When you give honest words to people, what do they feel? Do they feel a sense of spite? Do they feel arrogance? Do they feel pride? Do your words feel like a sword to them or do they feel like medicine to them? Is there a sweetness, even in the hardness? Is there a kindness, a humility, a graciousness, a sense that you are saying these things not for your sake but for theirs? Here's the last thing. We need timely words. Timely words. Proverbs 15 says a person finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good is a timing word, timely word. We have to choose our words wisely because it is very possible to say the right thing in the right way but at the wrong time. I'll give you an example of this. Sometimes as Christians, when people are hurting, when they're suffering, or in the midst of, when they're in the midst of tears, we say things we shouldn't say to them in that moment. Things like, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. That's true, but that is not the moment to say that. There are so many moments in life where you have to stop and you have to ask yourself, should this be said in this moment? Is this person able to hear this right now? Is this going to help them? Do you see how complex it is to use our words for healing? It is so complex. It is not easy. We need measured words, honest words, gracious words, timely words. In other words, to use your words for healing reflects how much we say, what we say, how we say it, and when we say it. So let's just take a test for a moment, class. How are you doing? How, you, how do you grade yourself? Some of you are like, I didn't come to church for a test. Are you kidding me? How'd you do this last week? How, if you're not sure, ask your spouse or ask a close friend and ask them to be honest with you. Because the reality is, is that we are all failing miserably. Let me just take the pressure off here. This is so convicting for me. I mean, I make my living with words. And I wound people with my words all the time. Is there anything that can help us? Well, that brings us to the last point, which is this. 
The healing of our words begins with the healing of our hearts. Proverbs chapter 16, the hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent. What is this verse saying? It is saying that the condition of our hearts determines our words. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 12. He said, I think we have this verse. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Look at your words and you will learn a lot about your heart. Angry words flow out of an angry heart. Self-righteous words flow out of a self-righteous heart. Critical words flow out of a critical heart. Cynical words flow out of a cynical heart. Gossiping words flow out of an insecure heart. Unforgiving words flow out of an unforgiving heart. In order for our words to change... First, our hearts must change. If you want to speak words of healing, and I hope you do, you need a heart that has been healed. If you want to speak gracious words, you need a heart that has experienced grace. If you want to speak words of love and acceptance, you need a heart that knows it is love and accepted. Now, where do you get that? Where do you get that? Some of you, uh, you've been around our church for a while and you, you know this part of my story. Others of you are, you, uh, others of you are new and, and this will be news to you, but uh, I've been married to my wife Katie for 13 years, uh, but before I was married to Katie, I was married to somebody else. And after seven years, that marriage imploded. And it was the most devastating time of my life. For three years, I walked around riddled with shame, riddled with rejection, wondering if anybody could ever love me again. And several months after Katie and I got married, we were falling asleep in bed one night, and she looked at me and she said, you are my most favorite person in the world. Now, friends, I cannot tell you the healing that came into my life. And it was, it was one of the most powerful things I've ever experienced. I cannot tell you how loved I felt, how delighted in I felt, how accepted I felt. Now, I know that there are some of you in this room And you would give anything. You would give anything for another person to talk to you like that. But what if the God of heaven and earth talked to you like that? What if that is how God spoke to you? What if those were God's words to you? Do you know that this is what the Christian gospel says? It says that the same words the Father spoke over the Son in Matthew chapter 4 in his baptism... This is my son, whom I love, and in whom I'm well pleased. It says that those are the same words that God speaks over you. How is this possible? How could it be possible that the creator of heaven and earth would talk to you like that? How is that possible? 
This table tells us how it is possible. It says that Jesus Christ, the one who John 1 calls the Word of God, that he came into this world and that he lived a perfect life in our stead. And on the cross, he died a sacrificial death in our place. And on the third day, he rose again. And he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And when you place your hope and your trust in him, what does that mean? It means that all of your sin gets placed onto him and all of his righteousness and his holiness gets placed onto you so that now when God looks at you, He sees you the same way that he sees Jesus. The same words that he spoke over Jesus, he speaks over your life. You are my daughter. You are my son, who I love, and in whom I am well pleased. You you are my most favorite person. You are my treasure. You are my delight. Can you, if you really believe this, can you imagine the way that it would change how you talk to people? Can you imagine the capacity that it would give you to speak words of healing and not harm? Can you imagine how wise it would make you in your words? You would have measured words. You'd have honest words. You'd have gracious words. You'd have timely words. And friends, that is the invitation of this table to you today. Before you can speak these words over other people's lives, you have to hear God speak them over your life. The invitation of this table today is to come and receive. To receive God's love. To receive God's welcome. To receive his smile. To receive his words. To receive his healing so that you might walk out those doors today and live differently. That is the invitation. Come and receive, so that then you might give. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup represents the new covenant, which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. The New Testament tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Gracious God, would you give us faith this morning as we come to this table to hear your voice? to hear your words. God, there are so many voices in our lives, both outside of us and inside of us, that have shaped us. But at this table, we hear your voice. Would you give us ears to hear? Your voice of love, your voice of welcome, your voice of acceptance, a voice that speaks blessing and healing over our lives. This is what we need today, so give us ears to hear. In Christ's name. Amen.